Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 66. Native American 6, The Southwest 2. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you want to support the show, then one of the best ways of doing that is signing up for our membership program. Just go to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, and click on the PayPal subscription button. For $4.99 per month, you gain access to an exclusive premium episode every two weeks. We're currently doing a series on the Incas. Special thanks to our newest pioneers, listeners Adam, John, and Luke. Thanks for listening. I couldn't do the show without you. In our last episode, we began our more detailed survey of the Native American tribes with the Southwest, taking the region up to the dawn of the Classical period. This is where we begin today. While the features we discussed last week, such as farming, pottery making, and semi-permanent hamlets, were present in the Southwest, it was in the period after the year 500 that they really began to spread around the region. Each locality started to adapt its practices, and very soon, the region had a mixture of different cultural traditions. This would have had very important effects on the societies we are talking about. Societies became more complex, and with them, status became more important. But as is frequently an issue with archaeology, we have great difficulty in working out what the specifics of these complexities were. We know that different cultural traditions existed, but did these people all identify as different peoples, or did they think they were one nation, but they just lived in different settlement patterns? These are questions we will never know the answers to. So, what were these traditions? Well, there were a number of numerous smaller traditions, such as the Patayan or the Sinagua, but there were three of importance. Hohokam, Magaloan, and Anasazi. Hohokam culture appeared around southern Arizona, and people developed complex systems of water management, such as irrigation channels, moving water from rivers into the fields. Villages were near the fields, but not too close, otherwise there would be the issue of flooding. They made pottery, the amount of which increases around the year 750, though it was mostly unpainted. Over the period up to 1000, Hohokam culture became steadily more complex. They moved away from rivers, the sizes of houses and settlements increased, and they used more sophisticated water management technology. They constructed public buildings, such as ball courts. These were oval structures, sometimes as large as 65 metres in length. Clay figurines became increasingly realistic, and elaborately decorated stone poles appear. Some suspect 
that a great deal of the sophistication of Hohokam culture was due to contacts with Mesoamericans to the south. Some features between the civilizations are similar, such as ball courts, although others are not. The water management systems developed in Hohokam culture don't appear to have anything to do with the Mesoamerican civilizations. To the east of the Hohokam were the Mogollon. Mogollon culture inhabited the mountainous zone of peaks and basins, which makes up central Arizona and New Mexico, southwards into the Chihuahua region of Mexico. Up to the year 700, Mogollon culture is indistinguishable from Hohokam, although they may have started farming at a later date. But from 700, we can notice some significant differences between the two. That said, Mogollon culture was spread over a much larger geographical area than Hohokam, so it varied quite a bit internally. Most settlements were located near streams, and while they farmed, there was a great emphasis upon hunting and gathering. They built pit houses, and by about the year 1000, these became single-story stone pueblos. There were plazas, but there were none of the ball courts which characterised Hohokam culture. They also painted their pottery. Red, or red and brown, was common initially, but by the year 1000, this had become black and white. While more colourful, it was also a smaller industry, and it never reached the levels of the Hohokam culture until around the time of European contact. Further north of the Hohokam and the Mogollon were the Anasazi. They lived on the southern Rockies and the Colorado Plateaus. The Anasazi were viewed as ancestors to the modern Pueblo tribes. They had a similar method of survival to the Mogollon, and it is thought they began to produce pottery at a later date than the Hohokam and the Mogollon. Their pottery style was black on grey, and they traded. They were also late to adopt pit houses, which were sub-rectangular and had their interior space divided by walls. An Anasazi settlement consisted of around 12 units, each of which with a pit house and several above-ground rooms. It must be noted that there was also a smaller settlement pattern of only one or two units. This was less common than the 12-unit settlement, but wasn't uncommon. So, by 900, there are several key features that were common to all the various tribes of the southwest. The region was littered with these small settlements, which were quite likely not occupied for a lengthy period of time, probably less than 10 years. People grew crops and stored food. They developed water management systems and tried their best to live in what was a harsh and changeable climate. There then existed a few centuries where the civilization reached its zenith, before settlement patterns began to change. Around 1200, 
Hohokam settlements started to be abandoned, and people instead gathered together in greater numbers at a few large settlements. There was also a change in Anasazi culture, with the most sophisticated settlement, the Chacoan system, being abandoned at approximately 1150. The north was more stable, but settlement started to be abandoned there by 1300, as people moved southwards. These changes meant that by 1425, the cultural map of the southwest was to a large extent what it would be once the Europeans arrived, with the classical distinctions reforming into the more familiar tribal systems we are actually aware of, although there is considerable disagreement among scholars about how exactly this happened, particularly over confusion about the exact effect of the later arrivals, such as the Navajos and the Apaches. As to what exactly these post-classical cultures were, here is a few words from what has become my go-to, Indigenous Farmers, by Cordell and Smith, in the Cambridge History of the Native Peoples of the Americas. Quote, No one would maintain that state-level organisations occurred in the Southwest, or that hierarchical organised regional systems were at all stable. Nonetheless, some describe alliances as indicating strong organisational entities with central places and varying degrees of trade, social stratification, and agricultural intensification. Others are more inclined to pre-contact societies as more egalitarian and modular, along the lines of sequential hierarchies described by Gregory A. Johnson, Dynamics of Southwestern Prehistory, far outside looking in, in Dynamics of Southwest Prehistory, 1989. Sequential hierarchies arise to resolve particular problems, after which the group returns to its egalitarian state. There were no systems in the Southwest that were able to sustain continued growth towards social and political complexity as societies did in the eastern United States and, of course, in Mesoamerica. The natural environments of the Southwest were never as productive as those of many other areas. In sum, the Southwest provides a variety of case studies of indigenous adaptions to harsh, unstable, and changing environmental conditions. The options people used seem to have included modifying the mix of hunting and gathering, as opposed to horticulture, formalising and disrupting trading systems, perhaps developing redistributive systems on occasion, and resorting to population movements when necessary. It was only with the entry of Europeans and European livestock that many of these behavioural responses became impossible, and the cultural map of the Southwest achieved its modern form. End quote. That sums up what was an admittedly very short episode, but we will be back very soon when we move across the United States. Having spent two episodes talking about the Southwest in a great degree of detail, 
Next time out, we shall move to the far north. We'll discuss the life of those living in Alaska and the Arctic. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then remember that you can find out more information about the podcast online. If you go to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, you will find a bunch of extra features, such as recommended books and maps to accompany the episodes. These will be very useful for this series as I throw a bunch of names at you. It is also the place to go if you want to sign up for our membership program. Just click on the PayPal subscription button on the right-hand side of the page. You can also continue the conversation of this episode online. There are several very easy ways to get in contact with me. There is social media, I'm on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash this real podcast, and on Twitter at History Jamie. You can also send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.